This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Around the year 1914, only 10 years after the Azusa Street Revival, a group of Pentecostals severed themselves from the original movement to create a division that would later become known as the Oneness Pentecostals, or the Apostolic Faith. This new Pentecostal denomination of faith disagreed on not only the Godhead, but also upon the work that Jesus did on the cross. The original movement, spearheaded by Charles Fox Parham and William Seymour, started with the foundation of Christianity, teaching that the grace of God was sufficient and that the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross covers all sin. Many were accepting of that original movement during the first ten years, and it quickly grew in number and it spread. From Azusa Street, this looked like the day of Pentecost from the Bible. All were like mind, like faith, and it looked like the power of the Holy Spirit fell directly upon all flesh. They were speaking with new tongues, and these tongues seemed to be on fire for God. But seeds of division and separation were planted before the movement even started. Followers of John Alexander Dowie from Zion, Illinois, were watching as a new movement started drawing more attention in the events leading to the revival. When Parham was accused of sodomy, and homosexual relations that led to his arrest, Zion City Herald ran a juicy article describing Parham's fall to sin. This sparked a rival for power that was a tug of war between Parham and Zion City's Wilbur Volova, a battle for leadership that would continue long after Parham seemingly lost his position as founder of the movement. Consequently, only ten years into the movement, that like mind and unity of faith that the early followers experienced quickly turned into conflict and opposition. Those conflicts created division and caused the Pentecostal faith to splinter like a piece of glass dropping from the sky. When we hear the, the term oneness Pentecostalism today, we generally think on terms of the Godhead. 
we associate this type of Pentecostalism with those that denounce the triune nature of God. But the divisions created by the followers of the false prophet John Alexander Dowie of Zion City and the followers of the homosexual deviant Charles Fox Parham had much, much deeper roots. You see, Parham and Volova were in a leadership contest and both battled to make their followers more holy in the eyes of their fellow man. The doctrinal beliefs that these two men implanted would later become the foundation for the doctrines in the movement that these things made the people more holy in the eyes of God. Though these divisions were mostly political in nature instead of religious changes of the heart. The root of division started with the change of focus. While most Christians in the group placed their focus upon Jesus Christ, the movement itself started shifting the focus on the Holy Spirit and the gifts as the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And without this evidence, the leaders of the movement would proclaim that the poor follower's soul was lost and bound for hell. Then, with each one of these splinter groups, these, these groups splintered off into even smaller groups of people, and then again into even smaller ones. The cult of William Branham has numerous groups, none agreeing with each other on doctrine or prophecy. You've got the return ministry group, those that believe that Branham will rise from the dead just as Jesus Christ did before the resurrection. Then there's the thunders group, those that believe that they have the special mystery of the seven thunders of Revelation. There are those that believe that William Branham was God, and a splinter cell thriving locally that believe Branham's son Joseph is God. So many divisions from so many splinter cells, and their original root is not William Branham. Their roots came from the Azusa Street Revival. Branham was part of the Apostolic Faith Mission. Many did not realize this, but the reason for error was not the works righteous faith or the signs and wonders. In the original revival, there were many who still held strictly to the Bible teaching. The underlying reason of the movement that it quickly became a hotbed of division and conflict, the underlying reason was because the apostolic faith splinter group denied the word. Many are familiar with this opening in the book of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's John 1, 1 through 4. While the words of John proclaim the Word was with God, and that He was in the beginning with God, the new breed of Pentecostalism began teaching that this Word was the mind of the invisible God. They started teaching that this Word was the thoughts expressed by a being that was very similar in nature to a human. For this doctrine to find growth, the new breed of apostolics had to change the nature of Jesus Christ, inventing a new and different Jesus. No longer was the Word made flesh to dwell among us in their teaching. The Christ that, was, that the movement invented 
claimed that Jesus was an incarnation of God, basically. The Father presenting himself in the form of human flesh. But when you deny the Word, and you deny that the Word was with God, and deny that the Word was God, there will be conflict. The Gospel according to John describes this very same thing that the book of John lays out plainly for all to read. John 1, 1 through 1-4 says this, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. The word was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and made manifest to us which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you so that you may have fellowship with us. There it is. We proclaim this to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. It's very interesting because if we continue reading into the very first chapter, John tells us that the very reason that the many splinters of Pentecostal faith could never fellowship with each other is basically because they denied the word. The apostolic Pentecostals started proclaiming that many sins that the other Pentecostals had in their lives, from the way they dressed to the things they enjoyed, they started teaching that they were better than the other splinter cells or splinter groups because they did not have this sin. John tells us that, that if we walk in the true light of the Word, Jesus Christ, if we want to have true fellowship, John tells us what we must do. And that if, if we say that we do not have sin, John says that we have just made the Word a liar. We've made Jesus Christ a liar. John says this, verses 7 through 10, But if I walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we have made him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's John 7, John 1, 7 through 10. In fact, if we continue reading the book of John, we find that the new splinter groups placed themselves directly under sin when they denied that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. For their oneness teaching. John says that anyone who denies Jesus was the Son of God cannot overcome. He writes this, John 5 verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Bur burdensome. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? John 5, 1-5. That Son, remember, was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John makes it very clear, driving the point home that there are three, not one. He compares the three in heaven with the re representation of the three here on earth. John 5, 7-8 For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness here on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. The splinter groups that follow the oneness teaching have denied the first part of these two points. If we were to rewrite these words according of the scriptures according to their faith, it would sound something like this. For there is only one that bears record in heaven, oneness God. And oneness God is the only one. But there's a second half to that statement, remember? There are three that bear witness in heaven, but there are also three that bear witness here on earth. Not only did they deny the three in heaven, but by placing their evidence of the Holy Spirit on these gifts, the three have denied the th they have denied the three here on earth. John does say that the Spirit re bears record here on earth. That part is correct. But there are three, remember? We can't forget the blood. We can't forget the water. Our baptism is an outward expression of faith in Jesus Christ, the Word. And the Word was made manifest and died on the cross for our sins. There is nothing that we ourselves can do to become more holy. He has already done it for us. Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Many have asked me, what harm is there in believing this oneness Pentecostal faith that was created by the political agendas between the followers of a false prophet, John Alexander Dowie, and the followers of a homosexual deviant? Because the God that they serve is named Jesus, they asked, what does it hurt you to believe it anyway? Those were the exact words spoken to me when I asked the very first question regarding failed prophecy to the pastor at the Branham Tabernacle in Jeffersonville. As this pastor was excommunicating me, shunning me before others could find out that they were following a man proclaiming to be a prophet who had failed prophecy, he asked me that one question. What does it hurt you to believe it anyway? I wish that I'd been in a home that was centered around the Word of God, the Word that was with God and the Word that was God. I wish I had studied the Word instead of studying these words of a false prophet. Had I been filled with the Word, I would have simply read the next paragraph of this chapter from John 5. 
John writes, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Ask yourselves, which is more important, the Word or faith in your splinter cell? 